Good morning. How are you today? Hope you're doing well. I hope the Lord's peace rests upon you today. We're going to be reading from 2 Peter today, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. If you read along with me. Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied in you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. That's a lot of words. <laughs> I sometimes get lost in Scripture, and I have to go back and read it, I don't know, two, three times. And then when I come back six months later, a year later or something, and I read the same words, I get different meanings. It's really interesting the way that the, the Word of God just lives in, 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 their, in our spirits and in our hearts, and it causes us to see things and see different aspects of Him um, as we learn about Him. Do you have what you need? Well, let's see. So Peter wrote his first letter in 1 Peter, addressing the severe, the severe persecution Christians were facing in the area of Turkey. At the time of that first writing, the governor of Bithynia, his name was Pliny, had sent a letter to the Roman emperor Trajan informing him that he had been executing persons who confessed that they were Christians. Trajan approved of this policy, but allowed that Christians who denounced their faith and turned to worship Roman gods would go free. What a deal. Free for a period of time. The persecutions increased, and although they may have become less impacting as church history continued, it wasn't until the Edict of Milan in 313 AD that the church was declared legitimate. Did that mean that the persecution stopped? 
No way. They're still continuing today. Now, in this second letter, although the persecutions of Christians continued, Peter is addressing the infiltration now of false teachers. <sighs> false teachers coming into the church and perverting the truth of the gospel. We must be awake and aware. At the time of this writing, which was approximately 60 A.D., Peter is in prison awaiting execution. It, writing this letter to guard us against false messages, false teachers, he's awaiting death. Now that tells me that what was on his heart was very, very important. More important than his dying was his warning us against allowing ourselves to become lax and miss the truth. He was martyred shortly after writing this letter by being crucified upside down. You know, he did that because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified upright as Christ was. He wanted it to be upside down. Peter knew what was coming for the church of which Jesus said of him, I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Isn't that interesting? You know, um, when we first read of Peter, um, shortly after he joined Christ, Jesus called him Cephas. And what does Cephas mean? Rock, right? So I think it's very interesting that at this passage, at this time, he's so concerned about the founding and the continuation of his church. Jesus is church, but built upon this rock. And who's the, he's a little rock. Who's the big rock? Right? Okay. His concern and passion for this advance into the world for Christ was more concerning to him than his death. In this book, this book of 2 Peter, he makes it clear that God moves by his spirit to truly delve into his word and seek greater understanding of his will and purpose for us and to open ourselves to the revelations and moving of the Holy Spirit within us. He wants us to understand God's message to us, not only through the written word, but also by the moving of the Holy Spirit. He enlightens and enlivens our minds so that we can perceive and receive messages that there is no way we can understand at this temporal level. Therefore, as we read through Scripture, it is important that we take the time to truly try and understand what we are reading, that we might glean from it meaning for our lives and take hold of, take hold of what is true. This is why I believe that Peter mentions the word knowledge more than once in this passage. And therefore, it is very important that we study God's Word on a daily basis so that we will not be caught unaware and therefore fall into deception. And believe you me, the spirit of deception is crawling around, sneaking around, walking around, trying to find someone who's not paying attention. You know, the Bible says very clearly that the devil is a lion prowling around, roaring and seeking whom he may devour. And who do lions go after? The foolish, the weak, those outside the herd, the isolated, the very old, and the very young. You know, if you are old, 
you ought to have the wisdom of God so cemented in your mind that all you say to him is just, get out of here, Satan. We want nothing to do with you. Because you know, you've been studying, you've been praying, you've been following the word. Unless you haven't. As I read through this particular scripture, I was curious about what the word life meant. Isn't that interesting? You know, God points out things to you as you read his word. And he says, pay attention. So I read that word life and I thought, well, what does that mean? I know that life means, I know what it means, but I believe there's more to it than mere living. In this song that you just sung, it says, in Christ I stand and I live. Now, <laughs> whew. in my Bible study, I found that the word life in the Greek is the word zoe, which means so much more, so much more than just living and breathing. We so often use the word life as just a trite thing, such as, I love my life. How is your life? Hope you have a good life. And still life. And it strikes me that it does not seem that we use that word as something that is quite alive. However, the word here in the Greek carries a dynamic sense of living, an active sense of participation in living. From the Greek word zao, this infers that yes, we are living creatures up and walking around, but we are also creatures with power to impact the world around us. And in God we are called and moved to be a dynamic force, to be a disciple in the act of loving God and others. You know, I love to hear good preaching, but when I see a preacher up here standing around, you know, like, you know, God is great. Thanks for being here. Have a good day. That's, you know, I want more than that. I want someone who's up here alive. That's what I want. In God, we are called and moved to be a dynamic force. To be a disciple in the act of loving God and others and preaching the gospel in our everyday activities. You know, preaching the, the gospel doesn't mean that you go up to every person you meet on the street and you're giving them the gospel. Well, they're not even going to hear what you have to say. But if they see you love them, you offer them coffee, you invite them to lunch, you help them with their yard work or their you know, homework, or in some way you bless them with an action... That's dynamic living. That's action. You know, and when you do receive permission and authority to speak into someone's life with your words, then they can hear you. But you've got to develop that relationship first, right? I mean, I can stand on the street corner down here and I can preach and preach and preach and preach. And maybe I'll catch one fish out of a million. But if I go and I love my neighbors, if I go and I pay attention to my workmate, and I let them know that I actually care about them and love them and want to help them or, or support them or invite them to do the same for me, right? That's love. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are supernaturally empowered to live in such a way that is far beyond mere living. We're compelled by the Spirit to live and move with power, courage, might, and strength, exhibiting a sense of miraculous and supernatural power. In the Greek, that word power 
is dunamis. Does that remind you of anything? It indicates power, strength, and ability. If you have power and you have strength, but you don't have the ability, you know, that weight gets really heavy. You got to let it go. You got to give it to somebody else. You got to let it go out and bless someone. And then it comes back in that spiritual law of reciprocity with greater strength and more power and more courage and more wisdom and more strength so that you can give out even more. That's the way God works. The word is related to the word dynamis, which is English dynamite. Are you dynamite? You know, you know, well, you can be. We want you to be dynamite. A dynamo. Isn't the dynamo like that spinning thing that goes around? The sun? Isn't that what that's called, the dynamo like that thing? Yeah. Um, I don't know about you, but I've held one of those things. I think it was like a gyroscope. Isn't that a dynamo? In your hand, and you can feel the power in that thing spinning. It's like, wow, man, that little thing has got some strength and power. That's what you are. You're all dynamos. If you are in the Lord and the Holy Spirit is living in you and rejuvenating you and building you up, you are a powerful force for God. And whether you know it or realize it right now, you are a powerful force for God. There's times that I feel weak or sick and unable. You know, we all need times of rest. But even in that weakness, God is still strong in us. Right? We can still pray. Because there's power in prayer. As such, being a dynamo, in Christ we are called as partners and participants gifted with power and ability to do the amazing and marvelous work of preaching the gospel. Isn't that why we're here? Peter called us living stones. Are we living stones or are we just blockheads? I want to be a living stone. <laughs> We're to be preaching and living the gospel and reaching into the kingdom of darkness and bringing the light of Christ to those still caught, bound in that kingdom of death. You know, when you're walking down the street or you're going to your work, you're shopping, or whatever it is you're doing, if you can just remember that there are people out there trapped, tied, and bound in the kingdom of darkness and death. Does that matter to you? Matters to me. Matters to the Lord. Peter continues in verse 4. Through these, faith, knowledge, and power, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Hmm. What is that prayer that I read? I think it's in Revelation. It talks about don't get caught up in the cares of the world. Because if you do, you're distracted. You're fragmented, and you don't have focus and purpose. And when you take away a person's focus and purpose, you take away the dunamis. You know, it's interesting, that word participate in this, in this um, verse right here. 
It's actually taken from the word partakers, which in the Greek is a koinamos, koinanos, a sharer, an associate, a companion or partner, a partaker in the endeavor. What endeavor? The endeavor of Christ in the world. That's the endeavor. That's why we're here. This verse does not mean that we, in and of ourselves, contain any divine qualities. We are not, nor do we become gods, or God, as some believe. But it does mean, however, that we have access to divine works through the work of Jesus Christ and the movement of the Holy Spirit within us. We can partake of and move and operate in the divine nature as we allow Christ, through his Holy Spirit, to work in us and through us. This is why we must be attuned to the Spirit. Are you paying attention? Are you trying to hear His voice? Are you trying to sense the movement of the Holy Spirit in you? We have to be attuned to the Holy Spirit. We have to learn to listen to His voice. You know, there's so much noise in this world today. There's so many distractions. I was listening to a report, and I, and I have done this in my, in my private practice. I ask parents, couples, and children that you would spend 15 minutes a day, just 15 minutes a day, with no input, no distraction. Just be where you are with you and God and silence. You know, I think that too many of our children are losing the ability to connect not only with themselves and God, but connect with the sense of the world around them and how they fit into the world. You know, they develop their sense of who they are by how they see others see them. But they lose that ability if they're just waiting for input. They become too bored. They get confused. This is why we must be attuned to the Spirit to listen for his voice and the impression of his will. We miss that impression if we're not paying attention. You know, and Paul said at another point, he said to be in prayer at all times. Right? Can we be consistently in prayer at all times? I believe so. I believe that we can live our lives in such a way that we seek God's moving and leading as we go through our day. And it doesn't matter if you're folding laundry or doing dishes or, you know, spending time with lunch with someone. If you open yourself up to the impressionistic impression of the, of the Spirit on your heart and on your soul, He will use you. He will use your words. And I am so thankful that he even uses your mistakes for his glory if you trust in him. I believe that wholeheartedly. My life verse, as I've told you before, is Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Do you love God? Right? And do you believe that you are called according to his purpose? If those two things are true then he has a purpose for you. Let's engage. Let's get involved. Let's do something that causes us to live in such a dynamic way that we just walk into a room and people are affected by the very presence of Christ in us. I think that's important. In this way, we become partners with God in blessing others. With the knowledge of God's goodness 
and we are moved in love to address their immediate needs. Right? We can meet people in the physical realm and meet their needs like that. Isn't that an act of love? It's more visible. Makes a difference. At the end of verse 4, the term evil desires, it's rooted in the word lust, which is best understood as a longing, especially for what is forbidden or unattainable. Longing is defined as a strong, persistent desire or craving, especially for something unattainable or distant. What do you long for? I mean, what do you really long for? I long for a, a much better relationship with my wife and with my children, with my friends and with God. It's a longing born out of love. And who gave me that love? The Lord. But, <sighs> I ask myself this question, and my answer truly was to live a righteous and holy life. What do you long for? I want to live a righteous and holy life. I truly, truly do. And I believe that every one of us in Christ have that same longing. We want to reveal Christ in us. Sadly, this all too often does seem to be unattainable and distant. We get tired. We get hungry and weary and lost. We sometimes feel down and depressed. But that's okay. We're still human. God's still there for us. And he's so willing to welcome us back, to take us in and give us a hug. We got a new puppy. <laughs> that puppy loves us unconditionally. He's so happy when we come back. He just is so happy. And that's how the Lord accepts us, unconditionally. Just because he loves us. Fortunately, <laughs> not just because I'm stubborn and don't like to quit, but I have the Holy Spirit within me to spur me on to encourage me, to strengthen and inspire me, and to convict me when I am not moving toward Christ-likeness. He does. He convicts me. Yes, he does inspire us. He encourages us. He strengthens us. He empowers us. He endows us with supernatural power. But he also convicts us when we are going the wrong way, when we're becoming blind or deaf or weak. Or distracted. I listen to that most of the time. I try. He convicts me when I'm not moving toward Christ's likeness. And in Christ, I cannot quit. He won't let me. If you are in Christ, in some place, it might be Sproul or Spurgeon. Or Stott, I don't know who it is, one of those S words. God is called the hound of heaven. If you are his, if he has chosen you, and you have accepted him, you cannot escape. He will track you down. He will sniff you out, and he'll come and he'll get you. He may allow you to go through all kinds of crap and hard times because it's designed for you to come back him and he will comfort you 
Paul said in Galatians 1, 15 and 16, he says, But when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. You know, I thought about that, and this is where I came up with another idea. I want to daily reveal Christ in me. I want to help my brothers and sisters in Christ to come um, and to reveal the Christ in them. I picture God as a sculpture, kind of like Michelangelo, you know. He was a great sculptor, a great artist. And he took this block of marble, and inside this block of marble, he saw the sculpture of David. You've seen the sculpture, right? How did he reveal that sculpture? By chipping away that which was not the image in his mind. And I see that very much like the way that God works on us, chipping away that which is not Christ. And sometimes it's painful to be chipped away. But the ultimate goal is to reveal Christ in us. Isn't that lovely? I can hardly wait for that to be done. Only I'm going to be a statue that's walking around, and I'm going to be doing some great things. I've got to get out of that stone, though. It's coming. He takes a block of marble, like me, and chips away that which is not Christ to reveal at the end that likeness of Christ. I long for that. I do. I long for that. I want it to be done. I want the Lord to come back and complete that. I want to be with him. Sometimes it does seem that my brain is made of marble. <laughs> Nearly impossible to shape and form. However, I'm thankful for the time that God has given me upon the earth. I view our time upon the earth as a proving ground or a training ground upon which we are to endeavor becoming more like Christ. Better persons, better lovers. To be like Christ, we need to be better persons. We have to have an actual affinity and loving care for others. We need to be so concerned for them, as Christ was for us, that we sacrifice our comfort, our interests, our desires, so that we can love others, and the hope is that they will respond positively to the call of Christ and the Holy Spirit's conviction and come to Christ and be saved. Right? That's what I want. What better place to practice the qualities of Christ um, except inside the realm of our relationships? In my relationships, I want to overcome my lusts, my selfishness, my foolishness and sin so that I may be a blessing to others, to be a representative of Christ within that realm of relationship. You know, when I talk with couples in my practice, they come to me knowing full well that I'm a Christian. I mean, and in my informed consent, I let them know that you don't have to be a Christian to come see me. And I can, I can deal with you from my clinical counselor position, and I don't have to bring up God, but it's going to happen anyway, I can't keep that hidden inside. But when they come to me and they want Christ, many people come to me because I am a Christian counselor. And here's my hierarchy for family. This is the way I believe that it works best. It's God first. 
husband and wife next unified children next and then extended family and friends and then everything else this is all about relationship this is all about what really matters because nothing is important nor as desperate in our, our need for God outside that realm of relationship. God lived eternally in relationship in the Trinity, Son and Holy Spirit, God the Father, right? And if we are images of God, we also must be in relationship. And the relationships that we are in are very important to us. Why? Because they're eternal. It matters. But I do ask at times, do I have what I need for this to become reality for me? Do I have what I need so that I can be all that I need to be to bring the love of Christ, the gospel, to the world? I believe that everyone who identifies themselves as a follower of Jesus cannot avoid asking themselves, am I living such a life that I reveal and proclaim Christ to others through my words and the way I live? Am I living such a life that I reveal and proclaim Christ to others through my words and the way I live? That's a good question. Last Sunday, after receiving some donations for Kenny's Closet, I went downtown to visit with some homeless persons, if I could find them. I didn't see many. It's been really cold. They must be holed up somewhere. But I was driving through an alley, and I saw one of the homeless person's camps. There was a colorful array of blankets and coats and such, and I saw that the owner was standing behind a building with his walker, his wobbly walker, perhaps taking a smoke break. I was not sure what he was doing, but I pulled up and I rolled down my window and I said, hello. I asked him, I don't know where this question came from, but I believe it came from God. I asked him, do you have what you need? You know, he paused and he looked at me, like directly in my eyes, because I don't think he's asked that question very much. Do you have what you need? He may have been suspicious or cautious with me, but he looked at me, and there was a glint in his eye, and he said, I do. This homeless man didn't need a thing. He had a wobbly walker, and he had some coats and blankets, but he was satisfied. Now, we have so much more than that. Are we satisfied? Hmm. He sounded sincere like he really seemed to be okay with his station in life. But it did cause me to think about all that I have and all that he seemed not to have. He seemed content. And in this exchange, I asked myself that question, do I have what I need? This is what led me to my message today. And as I thought about this, I also asked myself some other questions. Do I have what I need to accomplish what I intend in my life? What is the purpose of my life? And of course, you heard my answer earlier, I want to become more like Christ. Peter addresses this quest in the following manner. For this very reason, make every effort 
to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. Whew, that's a lot. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. In your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ineffective and unproductive in our living in Jesus Christ. Ineffective and unproductive in the way that we are representing Jesus Christ and being bringers of the gospel. I don't want that. I've read these lists of, of Paul's in other writings, and I sometimes have to read them several times before I can make sense of it. I have a little bit of ADD, ADHD, and so I get lost somewhere along the way. I have to go back and read them again. And to get these things in order so often seems an almost daunting task to have to develop these things in me. Sounds like a lot of work. What? I got to add goodness to my faith and knowledge to my goodness and self-control to my knowledge and perseverance to my self-control and to godliness. Oh my goodness, that's a lot of work. Oh, but thank goodness I have the Holy Spirit in me to keep me going. I'm drawn to those things because he lives in me. Whew. But as I thought about this further, it dawned on me that I don't have to create or develop these powerful character development concepts to achieve the success which I desire. These concepts, the goodness and knowledge, the self-control and perseverance, the godliness, the mutual affection and love have already, already, they have already been endowed in me by the Holy Spirit. I don't have to work for them. He has given them to me. This is why we are a new creation. Before, I was dead with no power, no life, walking around dead. But the Holy Spirit came and lives in me because I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and what he did. And in that acceptance of what he had did, what he's done for me, his death and resurrection. I have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit already has those things. And when he comes to live in you, you have them too. We have been changed from death and decay and brought into life, already prepared in the light and life that Christ has given us through his death and resurrection. We are resurrected into Christ and have these qualities already available because of Christ's work on the cross. Our task is to realize that we have access to these qualities within us already and to practice them. Living them out in the world of our relationships. This is everything else. God first, husband, wife, children, family, friends, this is everything else. And I do mean everything else. I mean work and play and even church is still everything else. What's first? Relationships. This church could be here too, but it could be here too. Some people come to church as an act of work, not an act of obedience or faith. Be aware. Nothing matters 
outside the realm of relationship of any internal importance. We've got to keep that in mind. My car, my truck, my boat, I don't have those things. I have a truck. But some people worship those things instead of worshiping God and moving in the realm of love in relationships. If we think that we have no power, no purpose, no effectual influence for the cause of Christ, we then do, we do become powerless and weak and as useless as yesterday's ticket. That is why Peter says next, but whoever does not have them, those things endowed to us by the Spirit, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to live in the kingdom. I love my house, but I want the kingdom. So therefore, I will return to the question that brought this message to light. Do you have what you need? And the answer, of course, if you are in Christ, is absolutely yes and amen. We're new creatures because we have been redeemed out of death and endowed with the necessary characteristics of Christ to do his work in this world and in our realms of relationship and influence. All we have to do is recognize and accept his work in us. We have to recognize and accept his work in us. And he gives us what we need to be his disciples. He will enhance the efforts that we put into being and growing in his word, in prayer, and seeking to preach the gospel through who we are in him partakers of that divine nature because of his work in us. Praise be to God for his amazing and wonderful grace. Amazing and wonderful grace. I close now with these words of Peter. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent and make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied, abundantly supplied to you. So I leave you with this question. Do you have what you need? That's all I got. And I praise the Lord God for what he is doing in me. And I also pray for what he's doing in you. God bless.